We are back with a pet chat, the final one for 2019 with Cheryl Shaw and Dr. Paul McCarthy heading to the phones to kick it off today. Good afternoon, Phil at Belmont. You've got a question for Dr. Paul about your overweight dog. What's happening? Yeah, we've got a little um, four-year-old chihuahua that um, it was a rescue dog. We've had him a, a couple of years now and we're struggling to keep his weight down. He just seems to keep gaining weight. Um, I'm just wondering what we should be focusing on in his diet to uh, try and help get his weight down. We, we also have a little six-month-old chihuahua who um, is very active, and he plays with the, uh, the four-year-old. And, um, so he gets plenty of exercise, loves his walks and whatever, but, uh, yeah, he just keeps putting on damn weight. And, um, yeah, so. Phil, the, the same rules apply for dogs they do for us. So you can run all day, but if you eat more than you burn off with your exercise, you put weight on. And so yep. in this circumstance, uh, can I ask what you are feeding and, and how often? Well, we basically feed, him, uh, uh, feed them twice a day. In the morning time, we try to give them um, uh, just a little bit of uh, dry food, dry, dry niblets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't think of the brand name, but it's quite That's expensive. Okay. It's like 40 bucks a bag type thing. Um, and then at night time, um, it's mainly based with uh, cooked chicken, um, Okay, so for a four-year-old dog, your diet seems quite heavy in protein. Now, okay. if you're a growing dog um, and you're turning that protein into muscle, that's that's fine to have that level of protein. Um, also, I imagine you're exercising with the dogs playing and romping is during the day and he's getting quite a high-protein energy-packed meal in the evening, which he probably isn't burning off. So similar to us, if we have our largest meal and then go to bed, that energy gets stored rather than converted into activity. So in, yeah. in, this, in this circumstance, I think probably there's two ways you could focus on. I think by the sound of things, chihuahuas are difficult to exercise because they generally sort of run around all day, but they don't really like long walks. Their endurance is often not particularly good. Um, so I think the, the, the way for you to do this weight control is probably firstly look at portion control. So there's just too much going in. Um, and so looking at how much energy is going in, decreasing your protein, increasing your fiber, so replacing maybe some of those, um, the, the minces and the chicken with vegetables, for example, so your dog feels full but isn't converting that high-protein energy into, into body fat. Um, the second thing is that there are a lot of really good diets out there now that are formulated for dogs who have weight issues. And so you could talk to your local veterinarian or your pet shop um, in that there's a lot of really good, I heard you do, you do dry food in the morning. There's lots of great dry foods out there now that have um, ways to manage diet. Um, a particularly good one called Hills Metabolic actually tries to turn the genes that store fat off so that actually you, you can eat but you're not storing the fat because the, the, the diet has changed how your metabolism works. So there are some really good weight management diets out there, but all the weight diet management in the world won't work if you still feed too much. Right, well, I understand. So, so if I sort of uh, add some grated apple and grated carrot? Yeah, uh, yeah, sweet potato's great, uh, fibre. Apple's a bit, a bit sort of sucrosey, so um, I'd probably maybe look at more of the fibrous-based vegetables than, than the fruits. Um, but I think at the moment it, it just does sound like there's a lot of protein going into a four-year-old dog who's probably not making any more muscle at this age, and therefore we're just producing body fat. 
So what about reversing it, giving him uh, main meals in the morning time and just giving him a little few niblets at night? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Right. So the same rules the doctors tell us. If, we, if we're going to burn the angiopterium a day, eat your major, major meal in the morning um, and have your smallest meal at night before you go to bed, the metabolism is very similar, so the same rules apply. Thank you very much, Phil. And uh, I like what you said there. What, what was that stuff you get where you can actually get the, the food to turn the fat cells off? <laughs> yeah. We, is so there something like that for the for Sadly, us? not been made for humans yet, but I'm in the queue if it does come out. <laughs> oh, says, says you were about 35 kilos soaking wet. <laughs> not Cheryl, not after lo- this week. There's been a lot of um, Christmas cheer. <laughs> Cheryl, don't you love these people that they're a size zero, minus zero, and they're complaining about how <laughs> overweight they are? Oh, but he, he actually does work hard to stay his weight. I try. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Good stuff. All right, thank you very much, Phil. Uh, Cheryl, you, you want to talk to us this week, our final week for 20 year, uh, 2019, a pet awareness over the Christmas holiday season. That's right, Mark. Look, a lot of people get so busy at Christmas and they forget about their cats and their dogs. Now, one of the things on Christmas Day, I urge everybody to make sure that they're watching their dog. Because we get so busy, we forget, we leave things out. And if you've got a, um, you know, a, a counter surfer dog that just helps themselves, sometimes things can go really badly. So things like the strings from roast meat. This is a problem because if they're attracted, the dog's attracted to that smell that's on them, they eat that. And, Paul, that's a danger, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So sadly that acts as a, as a string foreign body mm-hmm. and it can really cause all the intestines to bunch up. They're, they're a big danger, and, and literally we get one of those probably every year. Yeah. And another thing is the um, skewers. A lot of people use skewers and toothpicks at yep. this time of the year. And again, you know, they've got that lovely smell of the meats that have been on them, and dogs are attracted. Some dogs will actually go through the garbage, even though you think you've fed them, they're <laughs> full. Nah, if it's a Labrador, you can almost guarantee it's going to go through the garbage or look for things that are there. So being vigilant is really important. Now, another thing is to just watch your visitors, that they're not giving your dogs and cats things that they shouldn't have, particularly like our little um, dog that's overweight. He doesn't need any extra things. Like no. Sometimes people will slip a little bit of ham or a bit of pork to the, the pet, thinking they're doing the right thing. Now, ham is very dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, so it depends how cured meats are cured. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly there, so silverside in particular, those types of, of cured hams, di- disappointingly can be quite toxic for dogs. And even it's just, it can just be the difference, Cheryl. It's a, a dog who continually has dry food twice a day. Suddenly at Christmas gets the leftover um, meat from dinner or the leftover chicken or turkey. It can even just be that the fact that there's something different and higher fat fed um, can really cause gastroenteritis and you'll mm. get lots of diarrhea and vomiting associated with that. So mm. there's, there's toxic products and there's just being careful that you're not giving something wildly different to your dog in a volume it's not been used to. Yeah. So would something like pancreatitis come out of that? Exactly, Cheryl. Yeah. yeah. So dogs painful. who are suddenly having to digest a lot more fat than they're used to, the pancreas is being asked to do a lot more work. And sometimes those digestive enzymes don't make it through to the stomach and they actually open up in the pancreas and start digesting the pancreas. And it's a painful disease. And disappointingly, once you've had a bout of pancreatitis, it predisposes you to it occurring again. So if you can be very careful about just giving your dog what they would normally eat every day at Christmas, and if you do wish to give an extra treat being a Christmas one, do it something that's fairly bland and fat-free. Yeah, and... Christmas cake, Christmas pudding. Oh, yeah, don't do the raisins, don't do the currants, don't do any of those things. That's asking for kidney disease. Yeah. So we've got all of that food sort of, you know, got to be aware of. But there's also things that um, do freak out the the dogs in particular. So the loud noises of the bonbons. Bonbons, You know, if you've got a dog that's a bit scared of, you know, loud noises, be making sure that the dog's just somewhere safe, that it's not going to freak out. What about the loud noises of the jingle bells that were working? We've got a (laughs) lot 
we're, we're in the, the studio spirit. currently. We've got, <laughs> we've got all got our reindeer ears on. Mine's the only one that does the yeah, whose bells, bells jingle. Yeah, yours is jingling away. Ours are just sitting there looking really cute. But, you know, on all honesty, there's other things as well. You know, we may all have too much to drink and leave the Panadol out. This is another problem if you're leaving, you know, your medications out. Just be very, very aware of what's out. Now, getting back to that noise of your jingle mm. bells... Once we get Christmas done and dusted, we've then got New Year. Now, mm. I know a lot of places aren't doing fireworks this year, but there'll still be those individuals who let off their fireworks. So, you know, make sure that your dog is, you know, s- secure, that you're home with your dog if you can be, because every year so many dogs, you know, sort of get yep, out. Get out. It's a problem, Paul, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, some good advice for firework-phobic dogs is generally – you can predict when the fireworks are coming. They're either at 9 o'clock or at 12 o'clock. Yep. And so having a dog somewhere where it feels safest, already feeling calm, maybe with some of its favourite food, maybe with one of its favourite toys, mm-hmm. so that you're already experiencing, they're experiencing that new sound that scares them from the lowest level of anxiety before you start. Um, the second thing is that often... Dogs will try and go to somewhere they feel safest, which isn't actually always where we think they feel safest. And so watch where your dog wants to go when those fireworks start. If it's under the bed, let it be under the bed. If yeah. it's in, the, in a, a room that they wouldn't normally go to, allow that space to be theirs as well. The second thing, a third thing probably to think about is don't um, praise or try and re uh, uh, um, overassure a dog who's showing mild signs. Because inadvertently you are reinforcing that the behaviour they're displaying is the correct one. It's, it's right to be nervous. If you can, if a dog is showing very simple signs such as the licking of the lips and the pacing, try and block the behaviour by ignoring the behaviour. Um, the dog will often self-calm if they're not being sort of praised for that anxious behaviour. How, how counterintuitive does that even sound to I know. you say that? Yeah, because the first thing often we try and do is we pick them up and say they're there. And for a dog having a panic attack, absolutely, that's important. But we can actually um, encourage noise phobias by praising inadvertently those very early signs because the pack has reinforced that the action that they're performing is correct. They're getting attention for that nervous activity and instead of that them being wound back, it, it tells the dog, I need to do this next time. Yeah, and that anxious dog is going to be really stressed. So That's right. Try yeah. to look after them. And, 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 and certainly for dogs who are very anxious and you're aware of those, have a chat to your local veterinarian. There are medications we can use to help through those times. Yeah, that's good advice, Paul. Thank you. Next up, we are heading to Cessnock. Jenny, you've got some problems with your cat. Yes, how are you? <laughs> um, I picked up this rescue cat oh, about six months ago, and um, she's a prolific licker of me. Um, and I suffer asthma, and, and overnight time, she crawls into bed with me, and she licks my my chest, top of my chest and my throat as I'm wheezing, would that be because she's concerned or is it just that she's after salt or...? No, no, no. What she's actually doing is she's appeasing you. So she's actually licking you to say, um, we're safe, I'm not going to hurt you, we're all okay. Um, And it can be intensified when the person that they're, they're appeasing is showing anxiety. So if you're getting nervous about your breathing and your body language is, is letting your cat know that you're, you're becoming anxious, 
um, she'll increase her appeasing behaviour so that she's remaining safe. It's a not an uncommon scenario in cats who have been rescued where they feel that they may um, not, not be able to maintain their environment. They try and appease the people in their environment, and so they're often very touchy-feely cats um, to try and make sure that they're able to, to stay safe. So, oh, okay. yeah, so she's not looking for the salt. She's not, she's not doing it out of any other reason, most likely. She's just noticed that your body posture has changed, and she's trying to make sure that you're not going to sort of get rid of her or, or, or hurt her. Yeah, because uh, she, she's actually woken me up at night when obviously I, I'm having trouble breathing. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I just didn't know. I mean, I know dogs can, you know, sense health issues and that, but, yeah, it was, it's, she, yeah she's, she's always, um, she's not a very uh, lap cat, but morning and, and, and night she crawls into bed with me and does does that. Yeah, so, so she's, she's just trying to make sure that the bond with you is okay, is that you're, yeah. you're still good oh, friends, good. life is good, and, and that she's going to be safe. Okay, I do have one other problem. Sure. She doesn't drink water. Yeah, so cats generally are not going to let you see them drink water. And it's an interesting thing. Often we see as a veterinarians, if a client um, sees a cat drinking, um, it often means they're excessively drinking because cats don't tend to like to be watched when they drink. Um, and so it's very unusual for a cat to not drink at all. The, the, there'll be water getting in there from somewhere, either from the diet or from, from water in the environment. But um, often cats, are, we often get that from clients that they think their cats aren't drinking. But, but cats have a very, very good kidney system initially, and they have an incredible capacity to reabsorb water from their diet. So generally right. most of their needs are met by what they're eating, but they, they will drink as well. So, because I've been adding... Um, with her food, because she's also missing teeth, she has a bit of trouble eating, so she's mainly on, you know, soft stuff. And I usually add more water into that to make it like a really thick soup. Yeah, you can Is do. Is that okay? Yeah, if she enjoys it, that's fine. It's more about the enjoy, enjoyment of the food. Um, yeah. Cats will drink if they're thirsty. Okay. All right. I, I just worry about these hot days. That's yeah, all. of course. Yeah. Good, good to be prepared. Have a good Christmas. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gene. I've learned so much about cats in the last five minutes. I'm, I'm pleased, mate. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I mean, they don't, they don't want us to know that they're drinking, and, and that behaviour was, like, was good behaviour. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the cats are trying to keep the bond. Okay, uh, still on cats, and it's now Rhonda at Adamstown Heights. What's going on with your cat, Rhonda? Hi, how are you going? Well, thank you, Rhonda. That's good. Um, I have um, a seven-year-old rag doll. Um, I had two, and unfortunately, about four or five weeks ago, we lost one. I'm sorry to hear that. It was very sudden. Now, these two cats were both males, both the same age, weren't, but weren't brothers. But they lived as sort of roommates. They weren't, you know, really, really close. Yep, yep. But since then, my cat, um, Ashan, has been following me around at my feet, waking me at least five or six times a night and just meowing and wanting patting. Yeah. Now, we've tried the feel away. We've tried the um, uh, some stuff that starts with Z that you put in their food. Zilking? We've tried that. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah, we've tried that, and it's really doing nothing. Yeah, doing so, nothing. It, so similar to people, the grieving process for pets is not a, a uh, time constraint. So some cats uh-huh. will grieve for some time. Um, some cats don't grieve at all, depending upon the the 
the safe, how, how much the cat is feeling safe in their environment and how much of a job in vigilance the other cat performed. It would sound like this cat's, um, what you refer to as brother, was probably the cat who was in charge of vigilance. And so yeah. that, that cat was there giving all the signals to say we're safe or we're not safe. Now, when, the, when the, what we call the sort of the cent- sentinel cat is, is absent, then the safety margin is no longer there. We are, uh, this cat hasn't had to be that, bit, that sentinel and is now having to learn to be the sentinel, which is where the following and the pacing is coming from, is that safety in numbers. So if you're not feeling safe, the best thing to do is be around people who are more likely to fight off a, a predator for you. And in, in these circumstances, it generally is the humans in the household. So things you can do is you, um, as, as you do with all behaviours, if it's a behaviour you don't like, you ignore it. So we don't pat the cat when it, when, when it comes towards you. We don't um, certainly reprimand the cat or make a vocal response at all, really. Just try and turn your back so that the cat realises that the behaviour isn't required. So you're not trying to increase the cat's fear level by reprimanding or by, by pushing away, but you're just letting the cat know the behaviour is not needed. The second thing also is to try and make sure that everyone in the house is looking as relaxed as they can be as well. Now, a jiggy time, because Christmas is often busy and, and generally we all have a degree of anxiety about this time of year, um, either consciously or subconsciously in our body posture. But it's about trying to make everyone in the house look as relaxed as they can for the cat so the cat's also seeing that the house is still safe. I don't need to be on high vigilance. Now, the length of time that this cat's behaviour will be erratic will be unpredictable, sadly. Um, I, I'm really pleased you're using things like the Feliway, but when you say you've tried them, we could be talking months. It, this won't be a okay. fix that's going to occur in a short time period. Um, I imagine it's the Zilkeen you've been suggesting as well. It's yeah, very, hand, it. very handy as well. But um, just like some people take um, grief in, in, at different times, cats are very similar, as are dogs. And, and remembering that, particularly for cats, their, their safety is paramount. And so if they've had a, a cat do most of that safety work for them and, and they're now not there... That process of, of gaining independence um, will take some time. So, there so can, you, you can use like... antidepressants from these guys as well. So there are um, products. Clomipramine is a common antidepressant you can use. It's a medication that you give orally to try and help keep the serotonin levels in the brain higher so that they're calmer for longer. And talking to your local veterinarian, there, there, are, there are drugs you can use that try and help that. They're sort of a step up from the next step up yeah. from the Feliway and the Zilkeen. So what about, um, we thought he might have been lonely, so we were thinking about another cat. Do you think, um, particularly because he's a male, uh, a little female kitten? Be very cautious in that if a cat's already anxious and we throw another cat into the mix, you can actually make matters worse rather than better. Um, okay. so, so certainly you could, the, the hard thing is it's sort of trialling that because... Um, uh, you can't really take a cat back once you've got one at home. But but I, I'd be nervous about suggesting that would be a cure for you yet. I, I would try and work on building confidence before I would introduce another challenge. Okay. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much no for that. No problems. I'm sorry for your loss, but, but good luck with, with, the, with the confidence building. Lots of games help as well. Get him playing. Thank you very much, Rhonda. We have a lot of cats today. Uh, we've now got a dog and uh, Helen from Curry. What's going on with your dog there, Helen? Oh, she's she's scratching really bad. She's um, and I think it's the grass. Certainly can be. Are you using a flea control at the moment, Rhonda? Oh, sorry, Helen. Yeah, she's got um, comforters on. Yeah. Uh, 
so she's got that comforter's tablet, yep. Yep, once a month. So it's definitely not a flea. Yep. She's not around any other dog. She's solely in the yard on her own. Yep. Can, can you see redness on the skin? Yeah, yeah. On, yeah. A, on a tummy. Yeah, so if it's particularly in the non-haired areas, it, the most likely is that it is an allergy. So um, allergies come in different forms. You can have food allergies, contact allergies. Um, so at this time of year, the most common we see are allergies related to the grasses. So grass allergy in particular is often spikes at around um, late spring, early summer, um, yep. and very commonly is, is um, a, a affects um, small breed dogs. So often Staffies, Maltese Terriers, they're the most common affected by grass allergies. So there is uh, there are lots of things you can do to try and help manage allergic skin disease in dogs. And having a chat to your veterinarian, he can he or she can run through that with you. Some very simple things initially is using low allergenic shampoos on a very regular yeah. basis um, to try yeah. and help soothe the skin. Often shampoos that contain aloe vera are very handy in that circumstance because they can help to take the, some of the redness and the irritation out of a skin. Yeah. Um, avoiding areas that are high in grasses, cutting your lawns regularly, not allowing gr- a dog in around high high seeded grasses can be a, be a help as well. Yeah, it's very short. The back lawn's very short. But, you know, she does lay on the grass. Yeah, yeah, and certainly that's where your shampooing comes in. But there are a lot of really good oral medications you can use to try and suppress that allergic response as well. Um, and I think in this circumstance where you're, you've, you've, you're on top of your flea control, which is terrific, I, I think you're spot on. I think this is an allergic skin disease. And I'd have a chat to your local vet about some medications that will help you. Uh, good afternoon, Russell. You've got a uh, question about your dog there at Morpeth. What's going on, Russell? Ah, uh, yeah, well, my daughter in Sydney got a brand-new puppy on Saturday, and now she says she can't come home for Christmas because she's worried about Parvo. Is she overreacting? I mean, my dog got vaccinated yesterday. He's got no Parvo. If there was any Parvo in Morbus, I would have heard about it. <laughs> Uh, Is that so, overreactive or what? Well, I think certainly if the, if the puppy that's coming from Sydney is vaccinated and yeah. the puppy's coming to an area but that, where your dog is vaccinated, I, yeah. th- I think the risks are extremely low. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think she's overreacting, really. I yeah. Just, I just, I, I'm certainly <laughs> not aware of any current parvo outbreaks in your local area. Uh, we haven't been advised from the Veterinary Association that there has been any parvo outbreaks locally. So I think the risks are, are, are probably almost nil. Um, remembering that vaccinations are generally very, very effective. And if the pup's already had its first one um, and your dog's vaccinated as well, I think the chances of Pavo are very, very slow. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll tell her that. I hope she comes home for Christmas. Thank you very much, Russell. And I guess just a matter of just, you know, checking and and all that sort of stuff, making sure you're okay? Yeah, I always, I mean, the puppy will have been vaccinated by the breeder first Mm. and probably also by, by even by the second breeder even. So, um... Vaccinations work really well. I guess when we get a pet, we can kind of be like with a, a new baby. You want to make sure you just care as much as you can, and of maybe course. that's where that's coming from. Yeah. Heading to East Maitland, Helen, you've got a, a situation with your cat. Good afternoon, oh. Helen. What's happening? I got a kitten two weeks ago, and one of my older cats chases the kitten under the bed or chases it wherever. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is to give the kitten a space and a room of its own first so that the the kitten can bond to that space and that room and doesn't have the other cat chasing it. So it needs to have that space, have some food and water in there, a little tray in there, and the kitten's allowed to bond to that room on its own. 
Um, and then as you then introduce the two cats, ideally um, have your older cat on a, a cat harness so that you can introduce the cat to the, the kitten to the older cat, but there's no chasing going on. There, there, there will always be an adjustment for another cat um, when a new cat enters the, the territory. Um, it is easier to introduce a kitten, so you're doing it the right way. Kittens are much easier to introduce to an older cat than another older cat is. Um, but the process needs to be done very, very slowly and very, very carefully. Because disappointingly, if the experience is too negative too quickly, um, they may never bond. And so it's really important to try and make this process of uh, assimilation as slow and as, as careful as you can. Um, and then at night, both cats go back to different areas so they're allowed mm-hmm. to have their peace time as well. Yeah, he, she, it, the kitten has a room of his own. Beautiful. And the other cat can't enter that room? Of a night. Yeah, I've oh, no. so, Yeah, so keep it closed. So let let the kitten have a space of its own first, and ha- let the other cat um, have its own space as well, and then try and use um, meet having them meet in communal areas. So common areas like like a lounge room, perhaps, or a kitchen areas that no one actually owns, um, so that there's no competition in those areas. But the the transition needs to be very slow. You can talk to your vet as well. There are some um, things as a, a felly way, as a pheromone you can plug into your home to make it feel safer for the the already established cat. Um, and there are medications you can help with the transition as well. Okay, thank you. No problems. Good luck. Thank you very much, Helen. I guess it's almost the same as people. If you imagine that it's your house with your family and all of a sudden uh, some random is just that's moving right. in. Yeah, yeah that's I right. I wouldn't like that. No, I don't like they're, randoms. They're, they're sharing your food. They're sharing your attention. Um, there's a lot of competition that can happen in those places. And, and certainly uh, not all cats like to have um, family around them as well. Okay, uh, good afternoon, uh, Paul. You've got uh, a situation with your dog there at Hamilton. What's going on, Paul? Oh, nothing. Um, Merry Christmas and New Year, guys. Merry Christmas to you too, Paul. Okay, that's to say, I won't talk to you anymore this year. I'll talk to you next year. That'll be too much. Oh, that's lovely, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing, can I give my dog Christmas pudding? No, no, Paul. So Christmas pudding contains often currants and raisins, and currants, right, currants yeah. and raisins are can be very dangerous to to dogs um, and, and cats actually, but, but but dogs in particular. The there's a particular bacteria on the skin or a fungus on the skin, sorry, and that fungus on the skin of grapes can cause kidney disease. So um, I, I would suggest avoid the pudding completely. Oh well, look like he has More to be stuck with his. They're yeah, more for me and more for Santa Claus reindeers. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas. You too, Happy Paul. Year. Hope Santa and, finds uh, you. And my lucky, my dog said, woof, woof, and uh, woof, woof, new year. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Paul. Thanks, hey, Paul. Hey, Cheryl, you've uh, been reading over our emails and you've got uh, a question yeah. there that's come in from Judith. What's Judith asking uh, us today? Okay, she's got a a four-and-a-half-year-old Dalmatian and it cannot cope with them lowering or raising the outside canvas blinds on the windows of their house. And they do that for heat control. The dog has become extremely agitated and it's picked... (laughs) And even if they pick up the hooked pole um, to do it, it it makes her unsettled. So consequently, they're utilising the blinds as as a... 
after utilising the blind as a consequence, suffering the heat. Can you advise how they can change that behaviour? So that pole, the whole thing going up and down is just freaking out their dog. Yeah, so this is where desensitisation is the only real solution here. So Dalmatians, by their nature, are often anxious breeds. They often have a genetically inheritable anxiety condition and they're often startled by different things. So we know they're predisposed to these sorts of anxiety situations. The first thing would be is that you would have um, your favourite treat provided to your dog and you'd pick up the handle, the, the, the device, to try and get it to open. And so each time you pick up the device, you give a treat, so that the dog starts to look at the, the, the handle as a positive rather than a negative. Um, and so eventually what will happen, hopefully, is the dog goes, oh, picking up the handle, I'm going to get a reward, the handle doesn't scare me anymore, we're all good. And then you would try and do the actual opening, again, linking that with a positive reward. Now, the problem that can have happened already is that because it's become an ingrained response, it takes a long time for that desensitization to occur. And sometimes using behavioral modifying medications such as antidepressants can help with that learning process and accelerate the desensitization. The most important is that to try and have the dog as calm as possible when you're handling any of the, the, the window shutters or the, the handle um, so that the dog's not too worked up before you've already started the desensitization. And as soon as the anxiety builds, the desensitization stops. So if you've, if you've picked up the handle and that's been going well and you've moved towards the window with the handle, then you need to, and the dog winds up, you stop where you are and the process starts again. Mm. I would suggest in this circumstance, so you can avoid the summer heat, place your dog somewhere safe um, with um, somebody while you open the blind and then have the dog not in the room when that's happening so that you can yeah. initially get the benefit. But it would be a good thing to try and desensitise to that. So maybe going for a little walk while someone else that's puts right, it down. That's right, puts the blind yeah. down. I'd do that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hope uh, we were able to help you out there, Judith, or Paul and, uh, and Cheryl. Good. I've absolutely no help with that. <laughs> All right, uh, what, a, what a great way to finish off Pet Chat Thank you guys for today And indeed, you, uh, uh, I'm sure you'll be joining us for 2020 after the break And hardly wait to return Yes, <laughs> and to all our listeners, thank you for um, listening and ringing in and being involved in Pet Chat We certainly appreciate it We certainly do, and keep those calls coming in 2020 All right, thank you Dr Paul McCartney Have a great, Carthy, have a great Christmas Thank you too, mate Took me two years to get it wrong, you but did. I did. <laughs> and Cheryl Shaw, we'll catch you next year as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And thanks for these little Christmas songs. Oh, it's, it's the least I could do. The very least. <laughs> the very least. <laughs> Merry Christmas. All righty, got news coming up from the Hunter Newsroom in the next couple of moments. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.